fade, right? Slow fade, I love it. Good morning, everybody. How are you feeling? It's good to see you. So many smiles. Every week I take pictures of, of the service because I want people to know what God is up to here. So sometimes you might see me like walking around getting pictures and you're like, stop it, David, whatever you do. But I, listen, every week I look back and the one thing I've noticed from uh, really over this past season is that in every picture, there's just kind of this permanent grin on faces. And I tell you what, after a couple years of uncertainty, to have a community that smiles together, it, it's significant. And so I'd love you. I missed you last week. So happy to be back with you um, today as we are um, continuing this series. Hey, I'd like to open up with a passage, um, one we've been hearing a lot over the course of this series. Let me explain. It's a passage that reveals how the church in its infancy decided to spend its time, how it decided to prioritize its time, what it did together, and how it chose to live together in response to the saving work of Christ as they waited for his return. And it's in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. It says this. It says, All the believers, the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. Isn't that incredible? They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. All right, so we are on week three. Week three of this extended series, kind of rooted on Acts chapter two. A series called Let Me Explain, why we do what we do the way we do. And we're committing our time in this series talking about why we do what we do the way we do because of the growing reality in our world today that, that people outside these doors really have very little understanding culturally or in practice of what we're doing in here today. If you remember back to week one, the latest numbers in our own backyard are that the regular church participation in L.A. County is at less than 5%. What does that mean? It means that there are 9.5 million people in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our friend groups, in, in our hobbies that, that have really no clue why we go to church they have no clue why we do what we do while we're here. For much of the world, going to church is almost like visiting a foreign country. And so as church people, we need to be ready to say, let me explain. Let me just, let me just explain why. And so as we continue today from week one, we talked about why we go to church. Last week, we heard from Pastor Jeff in a dynamite like grand slam home run sermon about why we read the Bible. If you missed it, go back and listen. Um, well, today as we continue on, oh, all right, we can thank him for sharing last week. So as we continue on today, I'd like to continue uh, talking about a timeless, non-negotiable practice that has carried us more than 2,000 years, and that is the Lord's table. I'd like to talk about communion and why we do what we do. 
But quickly, before we begin, before we get into communion, quick show of hands, who likes to eat? Yeah. Guys, I love to eat. Quickly, Paul Sutherland, what's your favorite meal? Just off the top. Come on. Feels good, doesn't it? Feels so good going down. I love it. I love it. Who else? Who's got some favorite meals? Jason, Morocco, what's your favorite meal? All right, so maybe we should have, where's Ryan Frost? Should we just get the grills out in the courtyard or what? Let's have, let's have, a, let's have a steak off. What do you say? What you don't know, and I, I'm, this is just family right now, what you don't know is that Ryan Frost and Manny and I, we have a, a group thread text message group, and it's, t it's, it's titled Meat. And, and anytime Manny makes a steak or Ryan makes a steak or I make a steak, we take pictures of it in the process and send it to each other, and we're all jealous on the other side. And so, food matters. It matters to us, it matters to me, and it always has. And not just for substance, not just to keep me alive. Food somehow has the ability to connect me to moments, to connect me to meals I had, to connect me to memories of people and places. Like, for example, this past week, you might have heard Rebecca and I, we went back to Wisconsin for an old friend's wedding. And while we were there, um, before we even got on the plane, we had decided, like, what are we going to eat while we're there? You know what I'm talking about? You go on vacation, what are we gonna eat? And so first thing on my list, without a doubt, Nathaniel, you'll appreciate this, fried cheese curds, okay? Quick show of hands, has anyone ever had fried cheese curds? They are a gift from the Lord. I swear, like when we get to the other side of eternity, there's gonna be an endless fountain of Wisconsin fried cheese curds, okay? All that is good, okay. Um, and so when we got there, I, I've ordered, I ordered two servings of it, too, because it was just so good. And with every bite, it brought me back. It brought me back to these moments and memories of living, of living there. The second thing that we really wanted to do was go to this restaurant called Sap. It was a breakfast joint that we really loved. And so we got, uh, we got there on, Thursday, on Saturday morning uh, for brunch, and there was a wait, so we had to wait a little bit. But we finally got a table, and when we sat down, I was just brought back to all these moments and memories I've had at this place. One being, um, check this out, I think you got a picture of Tyler if you wanna throw it up there. So, this is my very beautiful and very pregnant wife, Rebecca Johnson, Pastor Rebecca Johnson. And this was one of the first times that we even went there. And what's meaningful for me is when we got there this past week and I sat down, this moment is seared in my mind. Because this moment was, uh, she was like nine, almost nine months pregnant. We had an emergency visit to the hospital because there were some fluctuating levels. And we got to the hospital and everything worked out and, um, and they sent us home. And instead of going home, we said, let's go get some breakfast. So this is a moment, right? Just days before my son Ford was born. This is life before my family began, you know? And when we were in Wisconsin, I, we always took Fridays off. We still take Fridays off here at the church, so if you try to call us, don't. And, um, and so after our kids were born, we still went back and back and back. And you can hit that again, Tyla. And so this was us going there. And we would go there on Fridays just to, to spend time together. And it's, this was the place that we learned that Ford loved pancakes. And this is the place that we realized that River, the sweetest girl in history, loves French fries no matter what. 
And it was one of the last places we went before we moved here. So we're there on Saturday, and we're, and we're sitting there, and we're eating this food, but what is the food? It's like this, this amazing device that transported me back to all of these moments. So the next place that we went, and this is, the, I'm almost done. The last place that we went that we just had on our list was this place called Town Council. And it's this unbelievably great spot for dinner that we would go on all these dates for. So on, uh, I think it was on Friday, we went with some friends and we, and we locked down a reservation at this tiny little spot that would compete with anything you have in Los Angeles. And we're there and we're sitting there and we're ordering food and I'm just brought back again to all these moments and memories of being there without the kids, praise the Lord. <laughs> Date nights, the food is great, but again, it wasn't just the food that we loved, it was all the times we escaped. And this picture was actually, I think it was two days before we moved here. So we're sitting there at this place that was more than just food. It was like a library of memories. Now, what am I getting at? Food has the ability to connect us. Food has the ability to bring us back to shared experiences and powerful, powerful memories. In fact, and Tyler, you can clear that out. In fact, there's, a, uh, there's been a, a number of studies recently by scientists of all people, that's amazing, um, and they have found a direct link between the region of our brains that registers taste and the place of our brains that's responsible for encoding time and place or recording memories. Do you catch that? There's a direct link between the food we eat and the memories we store. Meals make memories to be remembered again and again and again. And we've all experienced those moments, remembering over a good meal. And that's because, friends, Hear me when I say, God in all his sovereignty created us with the ability to make memories and then recall those moments and the meaning behind them with a meal. This is how God made us. This is the ability God gave us that's literally woven into the very fabric of humanity. God put that ability in our brains. And it's this ability to leverage remembering together that we're gonna be taking a closer look at when we talk about communion today. It's this ability to remember that we'll be taking a closer look at when we approach the Lord's table. So let me explain. Let me explain why we do what we do the way we do. Starting first with the basics. What is communion? I don't know everyone's church background, but again, 95% of the world has not stepped foot in what we do here today. And so, what is communion? Now, we just read in Acts chapter 2 that all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper. So what is it? Well, we first see this practice of communion introduced, you guessed it, at a meal. At a meal a final meal or last supper between Jesus and his disciples. And this meal was actually uh, a really significant moment for everyone that was gathered around the table because they were gathering to celebrate what's called the Passover meal. Now, what is the Passover? Let me explain. For, follow me back 1,500 years beyond Jesus, 
um, to a moment when Moses was sent to free Israel from captivity in Egypt. At this point, Israel had been slaves in Egypt for more than 400 years, and God hears their cries and sends Moses to help rescue them. Moses says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no, nine times. And so God sends 10 plagues, the final being this angel of death. The angel of death that would take the life of the firstborn of every family in Egypt. Not good. Not good. But God made a promise. God made a covenant. Remember that word. God made a covenant that he would spare anyone that finds a perfect lamb, kills this lamb, and takes the blood of the lamb and puts it over the doorposts of their home. Because then when the angel came, it would know that this family was protected by God. And it would pass over that family's house. This is where we get the phrase, Passover. Cool. So that night, the angel came, taking the lives of all the firstborn, and it was a breaking point for Pharaoh where he finally said, fine, get out. Go. Get out. So they went, and this moment, all wrapped up in this, this season called the Exodus. The Exodus was like the Super Bowl for Jewish people. They celebrated it like crazy every year, which brings us back to the Last Supper, Passover meal, when Jesus introduces what we call communion, the Lord's Supper. And this is Matthew chapter 26. Check it out, starting in verse 26. It says this, As they, Jesus and his disciples, were eating the Passover meal, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant, there's that it, the covenant, between God and his people. If you remember back to the Passover for just a second, the blood of the lamb that confirmed the covenant between God and his people. Now Jesus is saying, if you drink from this, uh, this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. Mark my words, I will not drink the wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And this is, this is the, the Passover meal, the last supper that so many of us know. The Apostle Paul, he expands on this, um, this Passover meal in 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 23. Again, it's on the screen. Paul writes, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant, a new promise between God and his people, agreement confirmed with my blood as the perfect Lamb of God. And this is verse 26. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. And this is, this is the Lord's Supper, or what's his, historically known as the Eucharist. The Eucharist, which comes from the Greek, meaning thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. This is the Eucharist and what we now call Communion, which has been practiced for, again, more than 2,000 years. The consumption of bread and the cup commemorating this moment described in Matthew 26 and 1 Corinthians 11. 
So this is what we do. It's what we do. This is what communion is. The church gathering, eating and drinking from the cup with gratitude and thanksgiving. Now, okay, let me explain why we do what we do. Well, first and foremost, just like we heard in week one and week two, the practice of communion as a church, we do this because, first of all, because God told us to. God told us to. We do it because God said it. This is why communion is often called an ordinance. Some call it a sacrament, because God orders us or commands us or ordains his church to do it. Jesus commands us to make a regular practice for his people, and so we do. This is literally why we do what we do. Literally, because Jesus told us to do it. But okay, bringing it down to earth just a little bit. Why is it that Jesus commands it? Why is eating bread and drinking from the cup, why is eating this meal that has ties to the Passover an ordinance, an ordained practice for God's people today? Well, this is where it gets really interesting and we see it kind of tapping back into our brain and the chemistry that God has created in us. So back in 1 Corinthians 11, Jesus tells us to eat the bread, to take the cup for two primary reasons. And the first being this in verse 23, we eat to remember. We eat to remember. Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying this cup is a new covenant, a new promise between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Y'all, Jesus commands us. He commands us to take communion because Jesus wants us to remember. He wants us to remember, just like the disciples, right, sitting in the upper room for that Passover meal, remembering all that God did to rescue his people from Egypt, just like the disciples, through this meal, through the Lord's Supper, Jesus wants you to remember all that he has done to rescue you. He wants you to remember. Jesus wants you to remember the sacrifice that he made for your freedom as the perfect lamb of God so you might be made right in God's sight. Jesus wants you to remember the new covenant that he made, the new promise that he made between you and the Father because of his immense, unbelievable, undefying love for the world. Jesus wants you to remember his body that was broken and his blood poured out, his body that was broken on the cross for your brokenness and the blood that was poured out to cover your shame, to cover you, and protect you from the wages of sin and death. Jesus wants you to remember. He never wants you to forget who you are now to him because of what he did for you. And this is first, he wants you to remember. And what, well, he could have commanded you, God could have commanded you to remember in any number of ways. God could have commanded you to remember through painting a picture together or only having a certain amount of kids together or only eating certain foods together or only wearing purple pants on Sundays. God could have commanded you to do anything to remember him. Amen. Come on, Fran. <laughs> but instead, he commands us to remember him with a meal, 
Why? Let me explain. Because God knows how a meal can bring us back together. God knows how a meal can bring us back to a moment, to memories, and he knows this because he made you like this. God made you this way. And so he takes ordinary bread and he tethers its texture and its flavor to his body broken, the bread of life. And he takes the cup and he binds its consistency and its taste to his blood poured out. So when you eat and when you drink the flavor and texture and taste of this meal, it might recall in you it might bring you back to the memories of him who saved you. And this is communion. It's, his, it's history, it's biology, it's chemistry and memories all coming together at once. And listen, it, one of the things I love so much about this ordinance is how accessible it is for everyone. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but Jesus, he takes bread and the cup to ordinary everyday things. He takes two ordinary, everyday things and makes them into a sacred, ordained practice designed to refocus our hearts and minds on all of the good that he has done in us. Jesus didn't connect his sacrifice to something rare. Jesus didn't connect his body broken to fried cheese curds only available in Wisconsin, right? Jesus did not connect his blood poured out to some priceless caviar only available to the rich. Jesus prepared the Lord's Supper at a common table, a common table for anyone and everyone across all space and time to come together to see what God is like and remember what God has done. And so we eat to remember. We eat to remember because meals make memories. And this is why, because it brings us back Symbolically, subconsciously, supernaturally, it causes us to remember because God wants to be remembered. God wants to be remembered, and not because he is insecure. It's not because he's insecure, it's because he wants us to be secure. God wants our connection with him to be meaningful. God wants our relationship with him to be real and not just some surface-level assurance that we're not going to go to hell. God wants you to be confident in your connection with him and what you believe about him. And this is where our, our second reason for communion kicks in, back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that yes, we eat to remember, but we also eat to announce. We eat to announce. Verse 26, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. When you approach the table of the Lord, friends, this action, it says something. This action speaks more than just words. When you take communion, you are announcing that you actually believe in Jesus. When you, are, when you take communion, you're announcing that Jesus is actually Lord of your life who died for your sins. When you take communion, when you come forward, that you, you're, you're, you're announcing that your sole authority is Jesus and his way is now your way. That's what you're saying when you take communion. You are confessing. You are confessing together that the old is gone 
and the new has come, that once you were dead, but because of Jesus, because of the cross, now you've been made alive again. Brand new life of freedom and opportunity and purpose and possibility. This is what we announce when we take communion with one another. We're declaring together Christ crucified, his body broken, the bread, his blood poured out, the juice, and for the forgiveness of sins. And this is why. This is why ultimately we take communion and why the meal matters. Two things, right? It's a holy moment. It's a holy moment practiced by God's people to help them remember what God has done, we eat to remember. And two, it's a sacred ordinance with ordinary elements ordained by God to reveal to the world your true allegiance. We eat to announce. And this is the Lord's Supper that we see in Matthew 26 and 1 Corinthians 11. This is why we do what we do. Simple enough, right? Simple enough. And I know some of you, you've been in church a long time, so you already know all this stuff. You could have come on up and preached this for me for the next service. Why don't we do it again, okay? <laughs> but if you've got any amount of history in the church, you've probably seen communion practiced in a variety of ways, depending on church size and church culture, background, denominational connections, all these different things. And so I'd like to close today not talking about why we do what we do, but why we do the way we do it. So let's start quickly with frequency. As a church, we take communion every single week. Why? Let me explain. We take it every week because we believe God wants us to remember and announce together as often as we gather. Communion isn't just a ceremony or a ritual to check off a box or to earn good standing with God. Not at all. It is an invitation that God extends to us, to his people, to come and refocus our hearts and minds on what we profess to be true. It's a moment for us to strip away all competing loyalties or allegiances so we might remember and repent and return to our first love, who is Christ. And I don't know about you, but I have an incredible ability to forget. I, have, I, am, I am a chief forgetter, and I often lose sight of what's true and put the focus back on me. And so I need all the intentional moments to remember I can get. I need that bread to bring me back to the moment of my salvation. I need that cup to remind me of the perfect Passover lamb who covers me from the curse of death. I need it. We all do which is why we take it every week. We take it every week, but we're certainly not unique in this practice. Check this out. Charles Wesley, he was a prolific hymn writer and preacher in the, in the 1700s. He was quoted saying this. It is the duty of every Christian to receive the Lord's Supper as often as he can. John Calvin, two centuries before, says it like this in a response to infrequent communion in the church. He says, and this is, it's hard for me to read, so if I stumble, forgive me. Seven, it's 1500s language, you know what I mean? <laughs> anyway. John Calvin says, plainly, this custom which enjoins us to take communion once a year is a veritable invention of the devil. For there is not the least doubt that the sacred supper was in that era, the early church, set before the believers every time they met together. And there is no doubt that the majority of them took communion. This is it. The Lord's table should have been spread at least once a week for the assembly of Christians. 
and the promises declared in it should feed us spiritually. And this is where we're at. Not because it's a biblical prescription, but it's just good for us as God's people. This is good for us to regularly remember the gospel together, to announce Christ crucified every time we gather. It's good for us, and so we devote ourselves to it, just like we see in the book of Acts, chapter 2. Now, please don't interpret me saying this and what we do with a critical spirit toward anyone who chooses to do things differently. Because I am not coming at that at all. Everyone has their own culture and convictions about the Lord's table. For example, um, Catholics and Lutherans and Presbyterians, they take it every single week too. Baptists, non-denominational evangelicals, they typically do it once a month. Oftentimes, the reason they do it once a month is because they don't want to be associated with Catholics and Lutherans and Presbyterians. So there's no real biblical understanding for this at all. It's a, it's a cultural, philosophical perspective. And whatever, it's all good. I honor God's house, and I honor God's people. But we as a church, we choose to allow the bread and the cup to bring connection to that little place in our brains so we might remember the gospel with zeal every week or as often as we gather. Does that make sense? Awesome. All right. So that's why we take it every week. Now, second thing, why do we come forward to receive communion? Let me explain. We come forward to a common table because we believe communion isn't just about us. It isn't just about us as individuals, but rather it's about us as a church family remembering and reminding and confessing and announcing together. So we come forward together to receive. Now, the root word for communion is where we get the word community. And the root is actually the word union. And this is how we believe God wants us to practice. In union with one another, so we might be in union with God. And it's not just about our personal reflection, although that's important. It's also about our collective announcement that Jesus reigns in this house. And so we come forward now, is it wrong to pass plates with bread and in the cup? No, not at all. Is it, is it wrong that for during COVID, we had those little prepackaged, like, cardboard bread juice things that we used? Absolutely not. It's fine. We just believe that God wants us to be one family, approaching one table together as often as we can. And I need you to know this is also why we serve gluten-free bread, and we use grape juice instead of wine. Why? Let me explain. Because we don't want anything to hold God's people back from this union. We want everyone who has placed their trust in Jesus to feel welcome at his table. Welcome at his table. And it's this priority. It's this priority that connects to the last thing I want to talk about briefly. And that is something that we practice called open communion. We practice open communion as a church, which essentially means that we believe the communion table is set for anyone who has placed their, their trust in Jesus. You don't have to be a member at this church to come to the table. You don't have to be in leadership. You don't gotta be a Baptist. You don't have to give money or even be a regular attender. If you believe that Jesus is Lord and that his body was broken for your brokenness and his blood was shed to cover your past, then you are a new creation 
with something to remember. You are a new creation with something to announce. If you are a Christian, then you are welcome to the table. Here's the other side. If you haven't crossed that line of faith, the reality is this meal isn't for you yet. Why? Let me explain. It's not to exclude. It's not to limit or to minimize anyone. It's simply because at this point in your story, you don't have something to remember yet. At this point in your story, you don't have something to announce yet. And that's the whole point. So the meal isn't for you yet. But the good news is that God wants more than anything for you to eat. God wants more, God wants the entire world starving for something that will finally satisfy. He wants the whole world to pull up a seat at his table in remembrance of him. And you don't have to have it all figured out. You don't need to get your stuff sorted before you choose to believe. God accepts you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you where you are. So hear me when I say God has massive dreams for your life. God wants to use you for immeasurably more than you can, than you can possibly ask or imagine. God wants your life to be rich with purpose and meaning and significance and joy and peace and love where, where you always have a seat at the table. And he's done everything, humanly and supernaturally possible, to ensure this future is available to you. But now it's up to you. Now it's up to you to want something to remember. Now it's up to you to want something to announce. Now it's up to you to want this life of freedom that you were made for. That's, and that's up to you. It's up to all of us. You can make that decision here and now. We all can. And we all should, which is really what makes the Lord's table so powerful and such a gift for his people. Because every time we approach, every time we approach, it's another opportunity to decide. Every time we approach the table of the Lord, it's another opportunity to confess, to profess and announce with focused hearts and minds what we believe to be true. Every time that we gather and we come forward to receive, it's another opportunity to place ourselves back within the saving narrative of Jesus Christ and the saving work of the gospel. Every time we approach, it's another opportunity to, to be thankful the Eucharist, thanksgiving. It's another opportunity to be thankful for the immeasurable love of God and the forever freedom that flows from his new exodus, the new exodus and the perfect Passover. Every time, whether you have been, whether you've had a seat at the table for 60 years or, or you decided to pull up a chair six minutes ago, Every single time we gather, every single time we approach, we have the same opportunity to remember. We eat to remember, and we eat to announce. And so let us, as we close, and the band, you guys can come up. They're gonna lead us in a song in just a minute. As we close today, let us be a church that welcomes the bread, that welcomes the bread to bring us back to the moment of our salvation with glad and sincere hearts, amen? Let us be a church that carries the cup as an announcement of our allegiance with integrity and fidelity. Amen? And finally, let us be a church 
where the door is always open and the table is always set for any and all to come and see what God is like. Because this is why we do what we do. This is why we do what we do the way we do as we practice the Lord's Supper together. Now, as we close today, we're going to do just that. And, uh, and I just want to encourage you as we begin, the band is going to lead a song that just, that's essentially the gospel in a song. It's called Homecoming. Where once we were orphans and strangers, but now we have been welcomed into God's house because of the Lord's table. The door is always open. The table is always set. And I just want to encourage as we begin to take a moment to reflect on what we've covered today. Reflect on your own story. Think back on this moment where God captured your heart. The moment where you felt free for the first time. Think back on these moments and these memories. Because that's what the bread is intended to do. Think back on all the times that, that you should have faced the penalty for your sin. But because of the blood, because of the Passover lamb, you are now living in, in abundance of freedom and love and grace and mercy. Let the bread and the cup connect those sensors in your heart and in your mind to bring you back again to why the good news is such good news. We eat to remember and we eat to announce. So I want to pray for you quickly and then as the band leads us, you can come on down and receive the bread, receive the cup, and then we'll dismiss you after this song. But let's pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we believe you're real, you're good, you love us, and you lead to peace. And as we approach your table today, we are announcing just that. We are confessing to one another and to the world that we are with you, that you are king and we are not. And as we take the bread and we take the cup, God, we ask that you would, that you would move in it with our history and our biology and our chemistry and supernaturally that you would connect that bread to the memories we have of your goodness. That you'd connect the cup to the memories and the moments we've had where you've covered us and carried us and, and shown us your unconditional love and grace. God, let this moment be a reflection but also an announcement that from here on out, God, as we approach this table, we're telling the world that we are with you that we're with you, and your way is our way. So God, we're so grateful that you have tied such an important practice to such an approachable meal. As we come forward today, God, let this meal create new memories too, to be remembered again and again and again. So Jesus, it's in your name that we've that we've gathered today, that we have sung, that we have, that we have listened and prayed and, and laughed and loved, and, and now it's in your name that we will receive. The name that is above all names. And we all said,